0: Hello and welcome to Agile Sustainability. Today, I'm very excited because we're going to talk about the Agile part in Agile Sustainability. To most listeners who aren't familiar with software delivery, Agile might simply mean doing something very fast. To the software industry, Agile refers to a set of best practices for software delivery that's endorsed by major tech firms. Back when the Agile practices were introduced, few companies then knew how to transition their businesses towards Agile just like the businesses today are still exploring how to transition to sustainability. Today, we'll explore the transition journey towards Agile with David Varvel. David was one of my mentors on Agile. I have seen him guide many businesses on the transition journey towards Agile, and his experiences can shed light on possible journeys to transition to sustainability, as both Agile and sustainability could introduce disruptive changes to businesses. Hello, David, so happy to have you with us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: <laughs> Can you introduce yourself and your experiences with Agile to our listeners?
1: Certainly. My name is David Varvel, and I have been working in the software industry for, gosh, 14, 15 years now. Um, wow. I had, I had my own startup in university, and then I... Went on to work with a number of other startups. I worked for the first group coupon company in Japan named Piku. It was a very interesting experience. And I learned a lot about Scrum there and certain agile methodologies that were very popular in uh, in Europe at the time because we had a great European agile coach. And my next job was working for Indiegogo. And I took a lot of those lessons that I'd learned in Japan and tried to apply them in Silicon Valley and make an agile team from the ground up. I learned a lot there about what worked and what didn't. We actually started with a Scrum methodology and then took away the Scrum and moved to a more Kanban and then went back to Scrum at one point. And we we learned a lot along the way. After a while, I moved to a consultancy, Pivotal Labs. Pivotal Labs is one of the oldest Agile consultancies in the world. Pivotal Labs got founded by Rob Mee, and Rob was very involved with a lot of early early leaders in the Agile movement. He was working with people like Kent Beck and Martin Fowler and other luminaries of the time. I spent been over seven years with Pivotal Labs. So I was just an engineer who was working in an agile way, sitting next to other people. And we were continuously swapping people on teams and working with different people. So I got to to see these practices applied on a bunch of different software products and a bunch of different domains. I got to see a lot of different companies try to apply these methods to their problems. And that was amazingly educational.
0: So from your perspective, why do you think that Agile practices become popular in the software industry? What are the benefits of adopting Agile?
1: I think the reason Agile became popular in the first place was because the teams that first adopted Agile methodologies were incredibly productive. The Agile Manifesto was written. I want to say around the year 2000. I forget the exact date. But you had some really amazing people involved with the creation of the Agile Manifesto. You had Kent Beck, you had Martin Fowler, you had these you had these people who were really, really good at building software and really understood the core principles. Of agility. They built some amazing software, built some amazing teams using these principles and using these new methodologies like extreme programming. And I think people saw the results. They saw this great software. They saw these teams that were moving very quickly, then try it said, we want this benefit too. And there was an explosion of, of different methodologies, coaches, people trying to get some of that magic. I think it's really important to define what the magic is with Agile, because I think that's very deeply misunderstood. People often think that Agile software development is about delivering software more quickly. It's in some way they think it's like like typing faster, (laughs) just going to deliver the same thing in half the time. And that's really not what Agile software development is about at all. Agile software development is about getting value to your customers as quickly as possible. And that means breaking your problems into really small chunks. It means listening to your customers and getting feedback and responding to that feedback very, very quickly and shifting course on a regular basis so that you can get to value as quickly, quickly as possible. People ask me, what does agile means to me? And I always respond, I like the dictionary definition. Agility is the ability to change direction quickly. And by being able to change direction quickly, you can create fast feedback loops that get you to value faster.
0: Why do you think that capability of delivering value faster is important in the software industry?
1: There's two big risks that you take when you have a classic waterfall software project where you define all the specifications and then you build that thing and then you release it when it's done. One of the risks is that you are burning cash, you are burning money, you are burning resources while you are building this thing and you're not going to get any of that back until you actually ship. The other risk is that when you do finally ship you might deliver that some you might deliver something that people don't actually want. If you look back at the history of the software industry, there are countless products where people spent millions or even billions of dollars building something that was a flop. Mm. And that has that has sunk companies. So really the benefit to companies is that you're you're de-risking your software projects you are lowering your risk on both fronts
0: i think both uh definitely sounds very appealing to businesses one is they can get value much faster and then start to reinvest those values into newer products and then make it better and better iteratively the other is to de-risk and validate their assumptions with the market so they have more confidence uh, about this product or whether they should stop the product early or should continue to invest in that product. So those are definitely very attractive benefits for business to adopt Agile.
1: I worked on bringing Agile practices to the IRS and the Environmental Protection Agency and other big government agencies in the United States. That was an incredible experience. Because the US government is maybe one of the least agile entities that you can possibly think of. (laughs) It's the the opposite of, of agile in any sense of the word. But there was a real appetite at the time for changing the way that they worked close to software in the US government. They said, okay, we need to get better at this. They really wanted to get better, but they had no idea what to do, they had no idea how to actually change. And we provided a service where we'd come in and say, hey, you want to change, great. Let's figure out a plan to introduce these practices into your giant bureaucracy. And (laughs) spoiler alert, we did not try to change the entire bureaucracy. (laughs) (laughs) We would would take a, a, a little piece and carve out this little bubble where we could build something in an agile way and then demonstrate that these techniques worked, that these this philosophy worked. Mm. Um, and we managed to ship some really cool software. We managed to build a, a website that is used by millions of Americans today uh, to check and see how much they owe the IRS or how much the, the IRS thinks that they owe. <laughs> and we got to build a lot of different things that had huge reach and we were able to do that with very small teams in a much more aggressive time frame than usually government software is delivered in you know usually the us government would, would deliver software over the course of years mm-hmm. and we were able to build something in the course of months wow. and actually get it into the hands of americans
0: yeah, I think that sounds amazing. And uh, it also sounds like you had a lot of experiences practicing agile yourself and also helping other businesses to adopt the agile practices that at first seem very remote to them, that they're not very familiar with how uh, how agile practices would work. Then what are the challenges that you see that bi- when businesses are adopting agile, they go through?
1: I think the, the hardest part about adopting agile is letting go of confidence and confidence. Yes. And there is a, an idea that a lot of people have that if we just plan hard enough, if I just think hard enough, I can plan for the future and I can control the outcomes of my software development. And a lot of people fail at this. It's it's almost impossible to actually consider all of the possible outcomes, all of the edge cases, all of the things that could happen. And when a software project has problems, people think, oh, I just didn't plan hard enough. I didn't think hard enough upfront. If I had just thought harder, then I could have foreseen this and I could have controlled the future. And while you have that plan and you're following that plan, you have confidence that I, it's a good plan. We talked about it. We had all of the meetings. We vetted this plan. We talked to industry experts. This is following best practices. It's a solid plan. I am confident in this plan. Agile as a mindset says let you need to let go of that. You cannot ever think hard enough you can never plan enough to completely de-risk your software project so you can have a plan it's good to have a plan you should have a plan but you should never have total confidence in that plan things are going to surprise you things are going to pop up and you need to be able to adapt to those new circumstances as quickly as possible so there's a certain level of doubt actually, that is baked into the agile mindset. And I think it's very healthy where you say, I don't know what the future is going to bring me, but I am going to be prepared for it no matter what it is. And so maybe it's more shifting your confidence, saying you're not, you're not necessarily confident in your plan, you're not necessarily confident in your path, but you are confident in your resiliency, regardless what happens.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. In, I think you need to get humble about let the market teach you about what needs to be done instead of um, doing all the research beforehand and then craft a perfect solid plan and it everything to just work well. I think that is definitely a, a challenge because let's say the doubt part that baked in the agile practices introduced uncertainty and uncertainty might introduce I don't know fear and terror. That what if this thing doesn't go well? Like what are we going to do about it? So that's definitely a challenge. I think just now you also briefly mentioned the mindset shift of shifting the confidence from crafting a perfect plan to shifting the confidence of if certain things happen, if there are outcomes that are unexpected, I would be confident on the team that will take care of this outcome and then build on top of it. So. What are the other mindset shifts that you see in businesses when they adopt Agile, besides that shifting in the confidence?
1: I think the other major mindset shift is people over processes, that there is no perfect process for every team, for every project, for all, all time. Now, there are things that you should definitely do or definitely strongly consider As an engineer, I strongly advocate for writing automated tests and certain technical practices like continuous integration. It's a really good idea to break your your plan into really small chunks and work on one small chunk at a time. But no process is going to be able to deal with every outcome. No process is going to be able to deal with every challenge that a team or organization is going to face. And therefore, eventually you have to trust people and you have to put the right people on teams. You have to apply the right people and, and grow people so that they can challenge, so they can actually tackle these problems. And that means not treating people like cogs in a machine. It's not You cannot create a perfect process that solves everything. And when a problem pops up, It's not necessarily a process problem. You don't necessarily need to lay in a process to make sure that that problem never happens again. Maybe you just have a people problem where you need to talk to your people. You need to put the right people in the right place. Hmm. You need to approach a lot of things that are traditionally thought of as technology problems or process problems as people problems.
0: I think that's that's a big mindset shift because since the industrialization uh, following process within the organization has improved the efficiency and people are getting used to just follow a process and then just do what the process tell them to do. And now these agile practices tell them that you should start to focus on people and then craft a process based on what people do have on the team. That is such a, a huge mindset shift. Let's say if that mindset shift happens in a team within the organization, how do we scale that mindset throughout this organization?
1: Scaling is hard. Even if you have a team that is working in this agile way saying we can respond to anything and uh, we are writing high quality software in, in little iterative chunks, We are talking to our customers regularly, we are getting feedback from the market, and we are responding to that feedback in a very rapid fashion. If you have a team that is working in that way, and then you drop them into an organization where they are surrounded by teams that are not working in that way, that are writing big requirements documents, And going through through a step-by-step process where they develop, and then there's a testing phase, maybe UAT, and then sign off and release, and all of these these non-agile ways of thinking, they'll just be swallowed. There'll be a huge amount of organizational resistance, and the peer pressure is going to be amazing, (laughs) Your, your, your little team will not survive. Mm. Therefore, in order to scale Agile within an organization that is not Agile, you actually need to create a safe space. You need to create a space where you can have these practices grow and you can learn how these practices work in your organization. Because that's really important. It's, there's, it's not going to work for you the same way it works for everybody else. And you need to grow it. So you have one team working that way. Then you work on getting two teams working that way, three teams, four teams. You create And you do this within this safe space that is segregated from the rest of your organization until you hit a certain size where that new agile sub-organization is actually resilient. Mm. What we've seen work best for corporate transformation is attacking a business vertical mm. and slicing off that that vertical, making sure that vertical works really well in an agile fashion, not just for software developers, but business leaders, HR people, everybody. And then you can think about expanding these practices horizontally throughout your organization.
0: Mm. Well, sounds like the, the task is not easy to do. Like, there are so many people that need to co- uh, cooperate together in order to make this uh, vertical slice happened and then to scale it from there. Uh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, well, you're trying to change culture. You're trying to change <laughs> the culture of a lot of people. If you're talking about a big company, you can be talking about thousands or even tens of thousands of people. And changing culture is hard. And the more mm. people you have, the challenge just goes up exponentially.
0: Yeah, agree. <laughs> And it sounds like um, before the organization fully transitioned to the new practices, there is a time when the old practice and the new practice coexist in the organization. There might be conflicts between the old and new practices. How do you suggest uh, organizations can balance those conflicts?
1: I, I would guarantee there will be conflicts. And <laughs> I think in every case, there will always be some period where The old practices and the new practices are are fighting for, for dominance in the minds of your leaders. I think if you're trying to adopt a new mindset, if you're trying to adopt new practices, you need to have a champion. You need to have a highly placed champion in the organization who can advocate for these new teams, for these people that are working in this new way and protect them because they're not going to have all of the political power of the entrenched practices, the intent entrenched mindset that is the rest of the organization. You need to have somebody who is highly placed, believes in this path to the future, and can actually defend the safe space where these agile practices can grow. Uh, maybe that, that goes as far as setting them up in a separate building or something. <laughs> but um, you, you need to protect your seedling and let it grow. And then once it becomes a a tree, it can withstand the wind a lot better.
0: Mm, Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely very useful advice on how to scale new practices within the organization. What's your thought on how useful are these lessons to be applied to sustainability transitions? I think
1: some things are immediately applicable. If you are trying to make your company more green, if you're trying to do things on a local level, getting fast feedback on your efforts, breaking your sustainability project into small chunks, learning from your failures, and make sure that they're small failures. Don't take on huge amounts of risk, take on small amounts of risk, and then learn from those experiments. I I think that can be incredibly valuable when crafting sustainability initiatives. I think where it breaks down often is policy and heaven help us international policy on climate change and sustainability because there it's a lot harder to get those fast feedback loops and it's it's much harder to carve out a part of society, a part of the world and say we will be make this part sustainable and we will grow it until it can consume the rest of it. Mm. Um, also one of the challenges that we face in corporate transformations is we are often looking for willing people. We, we will ask for volunteers. Do you want to work in a new way? Do you want to adopt this new mindset? And we will start growing our new agile teams with these volunteers. You can do that with a population, You know the residents of Singapore, or uh, the United States. But at some point, you need you need to actually have everybody working in a sustainable way, have everybody doing sustainable practices. And you can't fire people if they don't <laughs> got to get on board. You know, it's not a corporation. We, we, we have to bring everybody with us, whether we like it or not, whether they like it or not. And That is the single biggest challenge that we have for global sustainability.
0: Cool. I think this is such a meaningful session today, not only on agile practices, but on business transitions to practices like agile, like sustainability. I'm happy that I still learn new things from David, even after working with him for so long. It's my absolute pleasure to talk to him again. And thank you for joining us today, David.
1: Thank you very much, Yifeng. I really appreciate it.
0: If you're interested in the questions we're planning to address please visit our podcast homepage at www.agilesustainability.org. Let's collect more puzzle pieces on sustainability together. Subscribe and stay tuned.